and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy and it's a delight to welcome you to this podcast, which has been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So however you've stumbled across us today, whether we're part of your playlist on your podcast player or whether you were just searching for schools or inspiration or however it is that you found us, welcome. We're glad you've joined us. Today, I want to share with you a conversation that I had recently with Mr. Jeremy Irvine from the class of 1992. Fascinating story as he found his niche within our school community. One of those kind of behind the scenes sort of a character, he he was responsible in his final year for the school magazine and rightfully very, very proud of that. You'll notice in the conversation that we have, look, and I apologise for this, some of the audio is not all that flash, and that was some error that I made at the front end. So I acknowledge it, I own it, but there's enough goodness in here as we can certainly clearly hear from Jeremy. Some of his passions and some of the, the twists and the turns of his journey, both here at school and then in his uh, career beyond. Delighted to be able to present this conversation with Jeremy Irvine from the class of 1992. It's a way that we want to try and stay in touch, keep in touch with the Yarra Valley Grammar School community. And whether you can do that via social media on Facebook or LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all of the socials, they're all linked in via our website. You can find us on ygv.vic.edu.au. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And today we have the privilege of sitting down with Mr. Jeremy Irvine from the class of 1992. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me along. And what Terrific a great series. It, it, oh, well, thank you. Let's, let's actually go there. Let's start there. Tell me a little bit about what you know of Inspired by Yarra. It's a podcast and you've listened to an odd episode. I've had a couple of listens. In fact, I was listening this morning to a recent one uh, that you did, I think it must have been last year, with Paul Singer, who's the uh, official secretary of the Governor-General. And what a fascinating career he has. And a, a really masterclass I was listening to, essentially, with you and he about um, servant leadership and how much I took from that as someone who... Um, hasn't had the privilege of working for the Governor General, but worked in government in different ways and, and uh, reached out to him on LinkedIn this morning, actually, and he sent a really lovely message back going, yeah, he's just a lovely guy and a really interesting interview. Uh, he must pinch himself every day. He goes and goes to Yarra Lumla, so, uh, and having served in the Navy too, so it was a really good one. Fantastic. I appreciate that you've uh, taken the time to listen to some of those other episodes. That's, uh, that's really good. And you're quite right. What this podcast is continuing to reveal is probably what I was looking for, and that is the diversity of experiences and backgrounds and, and opportunities that have uh, that are part of our Yarra Old Grammarian story. Yep. And you yourself have got a fascinating story, and so I wonder if we can go back to, you finished Year 12 in 1992, Yep. but go back a little earlier than that. What year did you start, yep. and what year were you in when you started? So I started in 85, which seems like a lifetime ago. And uh, I remember my mother and father bringing me up to meet Mr. Kel Emmett, as he was then, the head of the junior school. And I was a very nervous little grade four boy from a local primary. And uh, he, he looked at me and said, would you like to come here? And I said, yes, please. And so um, mum and dad were very kind enough to, to work very hard and, and put my and my other brothers through Yarra Valley. So two, uh, one of my other brothers through Yarra Valley. So I started it in year five in 1985 and I went all the way through to into year 12 so wow that, that is a journey tell me yep. what do you recall of the school uniform back when you're in grade five? Oh, it was it was horrible and gray it was so i think i don't know when it changed to the kind of uniform that it is now it was gray and it had these really garish kind of blazers and it was all just um yeah all very old school so um and obviously at the time um it wasn't co-ed we had girls in year 11 and 12 uh back then but uh yeah the school uniform i remember was the long socks and the the horrible stifling jumpers and um the itchy school the itchy school football jumper um, i'm glad paul singer enjoyed running around with lee murray on the on the ovals because that was an interesting experience um yeah so yeah I, I remember that day very clearly actually and then obviously a whole bunch of new people came in year seven and then we continued on from there 
That's right. And and you're quite right. What happens at Year 7 is is largely the the cohort grows because other students come from various schools and and you had a little bit of uh, know-how because you'd been yep. part of Yarra for a couple of years. Yep. But then all of a sudden your your world has opened up. That's right. Yeah. So we went from two – we had two classes in Year 5 and 6 to, to – I distinctly remember we went from two to five overnight. You know, it's just like, wow. And uh, this is high school. This is and, – and back then Year 7 was in the junior school with, with Lee Murray and who do I have um, – I was going to say Bob Carr. That's just too political. Alan Carr, um, as my homeroom teacher in Year Seven, and um, uh, you know some of the others. Uh, Jeff Archer, who who sadly died, I think this year or last year, and some of the other. And Kill Emmett was clearly um, the junior school head. So, um, really great teachers. Actually, my first teacher at school was um, a guy called Alan Garbett, and then I had Andrew Ponsford, who's since gone on to I think run his own independent school in the last. Well, he was very senior Yarra Valley. So, um, great teachers and. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed junior school. I enjoyed all my years at school, but yeah, they were they were good formative years, and the teachers were very um, what's the word? Well, you didn't muck around with Lee Murray. <laughs> he okay. was he was old school, old school, but very. I think that kind of uh, how would I describe him? I don't think I was ever scared of, of Mr. Murray, but very much respectful of him, and the same with Mr. Emmett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're quite right because there are certain people that just exude uh, a presence, don't they? And and when they walk in the room, when they ask you something, when they expect something of you, there are certain people and you would do nothing other than do what you can to meet their need. Yep. And and, uh, old school, as you call it, um, is, is... I think maybe there were more of those sorts of characters back in those days. There were. Um, I was, and I don't know how you'd, you'd describe the teaching philosophy now, but I, I you know, I, I distinctly remember. Uh, well, I was very lucky. I had some really good teachers all the way through. So, I mean, junior school, but, um, you know, my career has ended up being working in politics and now in industry associations. And I had people like um, Dennis Carroll, who was just, you know, like the a wonderful, wonderful teacher, scary as all get up in a, in a good way, um, someone you didn't muck around with and who really um, pushed me in a good way. And then I was very lucky. I had Andrew Hocking in Year 11 and 12 for history and a guy called Dennis Woodward all the way through for politics and um, Fred Carstens who was there for a long time in Year 11 and 12 English. So people that you looked up to, uh, people you admired, you know, and, and you, you put around the people like the Crawleys and, the, you know, the Mary Carrolls around that and, it, and it's... You know, it was a, it was a it was a happy school. Uh, George Wood was, I think, just about ready to to retire. You know, the the, the music centre had just been built, the, the new PAC. Um, yeah, I had very 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 happy memories of school, and and still catch up with a lot of the guys from you know two of the three guys at my wedding party were, were two of my oldest mates from school. So um, very very fortunate to have all those memories from for many years. That's fantastic, and, and you've just reeled off. Uh, some of the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the masterclass of our education <laughs> being part of, uh, part of our... Uh, <laughs> here I probably just name-dropped about half the school staff in, year, uh, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. But great teachers. And, uh, you know, like Dennis Carroll was someone who I, I looked up to and I admired. Uh, Andrew Hocking, I had the pleasure of coming back to the school a couple of years ago where you and I caught up. And um, obviously he's, he's been a, a great leader for the school over many years. Uh, very unassuming, very humble guy. Uh, Ron Milner, who was uh, the teacher in charge of the school magazine. I was fortunate enough to be editor of the school magazine in my last year, which was a real hum- terribly humbling experience. It was um, a great highlight of my time. Uh, and then Fred Carstens, who I think has passed away or, or at least retired over many years ago, was, a, again, a very quietly spoken kind of guy who, who really wanted to get the best out of you. And it wasn't this rah-rah shout and kind of yell nonsense it was um people really were interested in you as the holistic person and that's what paul was talking about the other day i thought that was interesting listening to a, a, a another student past student talking about that uh that he felt he could fail well i think that was i'm paraphrasing his language but there are opportunities there for him to learn along the way and to feel supported in what he was doing and i think that that's a really good way of explaining it yeah yeah no i like that tell me jeremy when you were at yarra let's Let's take you into your middle school days. Yep. Where would we find you? What was a, a favourite hangout within the school? Was it a particular subject area that you'd like to be at? Was it a, down on the tennis courts, on the field? <laughs> where, where would we find you? 
So I was not a sporty person. In fact, the irony was I probably the only thing I took about from, away from Yarra Valley, no disrespect to the Crawleys and the Carols, was a love of rugby. So um, having lived in Canberra and New Zealand and, and um, I took away from the school, probably only, only thing that came out of the Alan Crawley sporting fields for me in a good way was the, the love of uh, a good game of rugby because at the time I was there, um, uh, um, the school was still playing rugby in the APS. Um, but I was in the music program, so I, I played clarinet in the... Um, orchestra in the school was called wind symphony until you're 12 and i did uh, in the choir but i was always involved in the school magazine so that was my thing i got on the school magazine committee early on in the junior school, in the what was called in year eight uh and then was very fortunate enough as i said it was a real humbling experience to have well, i had to go and actually interview mr wood interviewed me actually for the role i had to turn up and tell him what i wanted to do with the school magazine and how much more budget i'd like and who I'd have on the committee, and that was at the end of year 11. So to get, I still have that letter somewhere, actually, being appointed as school magazine editor, which the day I left school meant nothing to anyone. It probably doesn't mean anyone to any, anyone, anything to anyone except me now. But, um, yeah, that was a huge, humbling experience. So me, I, I was doing music and magazine all the way through. Yes, and, and I wonder whether has that impacted or been part of your journey since leaving school? Have you, yeah. because you, you, you pick up skills in there, don't you? communication is a, an yeah. important part of what you're involved in as part of the, the school magazine. There's leadership involved yeah. in that. Tell yeah. me a little bit about how some of those things have impacted your career. Sure. So, uh, well, for one, let, let's start with music. Um, I remember having to audition, um, and, and this was in Alison French's day, for um essentially the, the first chair, like the senior spot in the clarinet section. Uh, and that's like anything, you know, you go for a job and you've got to actually turn up and, and be prepared to uh, give it your best. And, and it's competitive business. And that's no different to, you know, getting into uni or getting a job or, you know, um, working, I've worked in politics and now I've been in industry association roles for 15 years. So uh, that discipline and actually if you want something, you've got to go and earn it. And you've actually got to, the internal, the driver has to come from within. And I think that's something the school was really good at teaching uh, and, and, and uh, also at home was if you want something, you need to work out what you want, how you're going to get it, and you need to actually put the effort in and doing it. And it was no surprise that, you know, the kids that did well in academically in my year were the guy and the guys and the girls, uh, both genders clearly, who were well-rounded academically. They were doing sport, they were doing music, they were doing debating, they were in the theatre, you know, it was it was a holistic approach. So that was one thing. It was, um, I think early on we were taught if you want to be whatever part of the school community you want, then you've actually got to apply yourself. And that was always very much something that um, was not thrown at us, but very much it was part of the Yarra Valley culture uh, and in a very positive sense. Uh, the school magazine, look, that, that was a huge honour. And I, I, I look back at that with a great deal of delight. Um, when you kind of drill down, Paul, at the, the very basic level, uh, it's it's really about, you know, I was given a budget, I got to negotiate a budget with Mr Milner to get more, more pages in the thing, I got to uh, essentially pull the committee together and then run it, you know, over a year, run, run this project, which came out with the end result. And a lot of those leadership lessons I think I learned in Year 12, which I probably didn't realise I was learning, have actually have early on um we're, we're great in um assisting me with my early career but that's probably not a lot of difference to what i do now i mean i work for so i run an association my board chair is responsible for the overall governance but i've got to still you know sort out the budget i've got to make sure i've got the right staff i've got to get the association the outcomes the board wants so the theory is quite similar the the, the way you go about it and how you go about it's a lot different but um yeah i think my early leadership lessons from people like Ron Milner and um, Andrew Hocking and, and um, you know, I, I wasn't a sporting person, but I, I, I respect Alan Crawley immensely for the man that he is and the man that he was and, and how he went about himself. And um, I, I remember coming back to Nev Lincoln's retirement, or I think Nev was moving on and, and um, got to go and thank Alan Crawley. <laughs> I'm thinking you probably won't remember me because I was probably the least talented sports person that ever crossed these bloody sports fields. But... He did, and, and, and a lovely guy, and I think that says something about the kind of character of, of, of him. Uh, and I reflect back often on people like Alan and, and Andrew Hocking, who was a great teacher, and another guy called Dennis Woodward, who was a fantastic teacher. He did um, international relations, politics in year 11 and 12 when I was there, and 
really opened my eyes to questioning a lot about power and how power interrelates and you know it's not necessarily black and white and you know 10 years later I was a easily 10 years later I was a political advisor a lot of the things we learned under his tutelage were, were very much apparent then so it's it's fascinating that a, a teacher who is clearly passionate about their 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 subject their area of, uh, yeah. of teaching can have such an impact on somebody and clearly they did on you and that yep. became part of your career tell yep. us a little bit about your kind of negotiation through the maybe sometimes dark and mysterious and sometimes um, triumphant world of politics and uh, <laughs> what, were the, what were some of those kind of behind the scenes experiences that you've had? Yeah, look, I, I was very lucky and, and, and I, I keep coming back to Paul's interview with you because it was the last time I heard. Um, he talked about the lottery of life and I think that's very true. It's the right place at the right time. I, I happened to be in, in a role in Canberra where I was very fortunate to um, be asked to go and work as, as a departmental advisor in, in Parliament House in 1998. Uh, and then a year later was offered an opportunity to become a political advisor, which by that time was really my goal. Uh, so at, how old was I then? 20, not much. 26, I found myself as an assistant advisor to a junior minister in, in the Howard Coalition government. Uh, he, This guy, a guy called Ian Campbell back in the day, was responsible for, I'm not sure if you remember, Y2K. Hey, and the whole world was going to, yeah. So we were at the National Emergency Response Centre in some in the middle of Canberra on the night that we rolled over to U2000. He said, well, if the if the lights stay on, I've got to go downstairs to this media pack and explain why we spent all this money. If they don't if they don't go on, then I'm not going to have a job. So, um, you know, I don't know what you were doing for Y2K, but I was hoping like hell the, uh, with the minister at the time that the lights went on. Um, so stuff like that. And, and then I was very lucky to work... Um, later on for Julie Bishop when she was appointed um, by the Prime Minister as aged care minister and, and Julie obviously went on to a, a very distinguished parliamentary career and uh, she taught me a lot about or she was an exceptional minister an exceptional leader and uh, I've, I've watched Julie's career with with great um, pride over the years um, you know it was a badge of honor to be a bishop staffer and uh, Julie ran a very strong very um, very disciplined intellectually ministerial office. Um, you didn't go into question time briefing, which is the you know the preparation time for the staff to you know sit down and, and walk the potential questions through the minister. If you had the answer of I don't know, that was not acceptable. So uh, I don't necessarily kind of bang that drum too much with my team, but you know I, I don't like not knowing answers to the, if my board asks me questions too in, in one of my board meetings. So uh, that was a great experience, but. Um, Look, look I, like all things, Paul, things come to an end. And unfortunately, and I've been upfront about this on LinkedIn and other um, platforms, I got very bad depression at 29 and was heading toward a heart attack. And um, it took me a long time to really get over that. I was, I had moved up to Canberra because I wanted to become a, well, I wanted to do a lot of time in Canberra as a political staffer and move back and st essentially stand for a state, a state, I'll start that again, a state seat. So I had a a political career in mind at you know 25 and, and a 15 year goal and uh to be told by a psychologist and a gp we're well, going to have a heart attack in the next six months and you need to get out um that was on one hand incredibly liberating on the other hand incredibly disappointing so and julie the minister i worked for at the time was great and and I, the, the pastoral care i had from from her and the chief of staff at the time were wonderful but um yeah i i didn't expect like anything to you know, you don't expect to be in one of those roles and then go, I literally made up my mind one. It was about two days before Christmas, whatever that year was, 2003, and I said, no, I just can't do it. And I think that's about balance and um, a lot of people in politics have, have um, depression and mental health issues and I think it's something that's healthy to talk about. Uh, for me, it was a lack of sleep, too much, too much, way too much bad coffee and not an appreciation of what balance meant. Uh, but I look back on my years as a political advisor uh, with, with great pride. It definitely set my career up um, to move into to association management roles. And uh, uh, I was up in Canberra a couple of weeks ago just for a conference and went up at Parliament House and it felt like just walking into the, walking in home, walking home again, kind of you're walking to your house and there's, you know, when you come home after a couple of weeks, something, and you can, you know, you, it has a familiarity to it and, um yeah, it was a great privilege to be a political advisor. 
a lot of that had to do with the fact that I'd been given the opportunities at school to really push myself and to back myself and to, um, you know, have teachers, like I said, Dennis Woodward and, and Andrew Hocking, who opened my eyes and, and um, taught me how to write. I mean, essentially, in a role like this, is, and particularly as a staffer, you've got to be able to write and you've got to be able to write well. Mm. I, I appreciate so much of what you've just said in there about uh, the wisdom and your experience of the need for balance and also your vulnerability around acknowledging you didn't have things in balance yep. and also your own experience of, of, of mental health and, and the challenges around that. And I wonder, would you mind if we just tiptoe around that a little bit more? Sure. Or let's dive straight in. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I opened the can of worms. Let's see how far we can chow down. Let's go for it. That's right. I, I wonder, would you say that the world of politics which you were in, which you loved and clearly you were good at, do you think it's the, the industry that leads automatically to a sense of imbalance or do you yeah. think that, that many industries are susceptible to that? Oh, that's a good question. Look, I've spent most of my career in and around politics, so I can only kind of go with what I understand. So um, how would I explain, how would I answer that question? It's a really good question. Politics by its very nature is full of people who are incredibly ambitious for whatever reason, and I'm not going to, you know, we've all... You've got to be slightly, and I say this without in the in without being disrespectful, slightly mad to want to essentially give your life as an elected politician, be it in federal or state. Uh, the majority of people I met, and I have had the pleasure of working both in Australia, and then I lived in New Zealand for a while, where I was able to work again in near well in Parliament um, as a ministerial um, speechwriter. Actually, uh, the majority of people I met were generally. Um, very, very committed to their cause, whatever side of politics they were on. They were very committed to trying to do their best, um, but they also were very realistic that one day they were either going to get kicked out of government or they were going to get lose their seat, um, or sometimes it happens. Um, what I wasn't good at at 20, not March, 26, 20, you know, 26 to 30, was actually having a break. I was so committed it was almost it isn't it was an addiction in in and i you know not not an alcoholic or a, a drug kind of addiction but the the adrenaline rush at that age but in any age i guess but at that age particularly i used to drive around parliament at the on on a sunday night pool um what, before i got into being a staffer and used to look at the building going i want to get in here Mm. So I, you know, like that was, it was almost like a taste it. And to get that opportunity, once you're in it, uh, you don't want to let it go. There are a lot of people that want to be staffers. There are a lot of people that want your job. Uh, it is a highly competitive um, business. I mean, you know, government is not necessarily, well, government is not an easy um, business to be in. And dare I say it, these are the days before social media. So we didn't have to worry about Twitter. I didn't even get my own mobile phone, you know, until I was halfway through being a staffer. So, uh, but I think looking back, what I what I perhaps should have done was actually have a have a more holistic life and more friends outside of Parliament. And but mm. you don't know what you don't know until you you're in the middle of it. Um, there is no doubt coming coming out of it that it probably made me a more rounded person. I needed to move away from it, and um, and th that time on on my CV has really set my career up. So you can either look at things from a glass half full perspective, I guess, or you can look at it from a very negative perspective. Um, me getting depression didn't kill me, and I didn't try to hurt myself. I took six months off and got myself better. Um, so you pick my, I picked myself up and, and things change, you know, life changes, you, your goals might change. Um, and I, I don't regret that time at all. But I think it leads, politics leads to a very, very focused, laser-like kind of approach by a lot of people. And um, it's not necessarily a good thing. Mm. You don't, if you can't step out of yourself. So, again, so much in what you've just shared with us. So is, is this a... Because you have given us an insight, at me at least, who I guess it would be fair to say I'm somewhat sceptical of yeah. politics and yeah. the claims that they make and the promises that they make. And But I appreciate 
what you've said about uh, the passion that must be there for somebody to want to commit so much of their life to that 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 industry and yeah. and it's actually a commitment to the people because they truly believe they're trying to do the right thing by the people. Yeah. I wonder if I can just get back into your own experience sure. in that world. And is it right to say, fair to say, that you're, the pressure that you're under yep. is incredible because your your position within your own team, there's yep. pressure there because if you're not performing, then the team doesn't perform. And yep. so in your situation, Julie Bishop, for example, she's gonna, yep. she's got expectations. But equally, the opposition are also out to get you as well. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> and so, so that pressure is enormous. It's a kick. It's a it's awful a kick and it's, a, it's an addictive kick. Right. So, so it was the addiction to that, that pressure, the buzz, the adrenaline. Yeah, it's a buzz. That drove you to being there too much, too long. Uh, you want to be there. You can't get enough of it. It is, it, is, it is like opening yourself. I don't know if you like coffee, but I love a good coffee. It is like having... You, you drive in 7 o'clock in the apartment, which you generally get into work at 7, 7, 30 in the morning, and depending on what time of the day it was at the end of the – sorry, depending on what day it was, apartment often didn't rise until 10 o'clock at night. Mm. Long days, I mean, for me the commute was five minutes drive, but uh, it is incredibly addictive. And when you have wanted to do this stuff for most you, as I had, most of my – adult life and you look around and there's three or four of you in a ministerial office and there's a minister and then you've only got, you know, maybe another couple of other ministerial offices you get along with that you only have to focus on in your portfolio. Um, you know, your life is dictated to by when the when the bell rings for the for a division and two o'clock is question time. I still have lunch at two o'clock every day. I haven't been in politics for 17 years because that's when question time is. That was the first time you'd actually get a break. It's crazy. My staff look at me why the hell are you having lunch? It's halfway through the afternoon. It's a really bad habit. Right. Can't get out of it. Don't really particularly need to get out of it. Uh, yeah, but coming back to your very good question, it is it is so addictive and it is so absorbing. And I couldn't understand at the time, and I think that's an interesting colliery to, to your question, there are a lot of us, say, under 35, and then the senior staff were, say, 45 and above. And it wasn't until I got married and had my and had our son who's now six and I'm now just turned 45 I go uh there that's why there was that kind of 15 year or 10 or 15 year age discrepancy between the young staff um and the older wiser staff because you know in that kind of early 30s to maybe mid 40s you do need to really focus not that a lot of people didn't but there were a lot of people that needed to have kids and do the right thing and whatever um but it was incredibly addictive. I wanted to be there. This was in the days of West Wing. We used to walk down the ministerial wing of Parliament House, with the, and I won't say, the minister may have been or may not have been Julie, and we'd quote the lines from West Wing the night before. It was heady stuff, and it was an absolute kick, and no one in Parliament, be they Labor, Green, Independent or Coalition, any none of us wanted to be anywhere else. This is what we were wanted to do. You know, I was a committed member of the party, and, and I had I had a career lined up. Come back to Melbourne, do the numbers in a state seat. seat. I'll, get this, I'll get it right eventually. A safe state seat. I wanted to be the Minister for Education in, Victorian, in a Victorian coalition government. You know, that was my 20-year goal and the party was providing a career path. I, you know, totally was happy to work 20 hours a day if it got me to where I wanted to be and mm. that was where the party needed to be. So incredibly driven by passion and the the what you thought it was and then being able to touch it and feel it and smell it you you were there yep and and yet i, I really appreciate what you said about the reality of uh, the journey through life yep and for perhaps beginning a family young families mean that there for many people there is that time away from it and and you, you talked a little bit about yep looking around the room and you can see sort of the, the 25 to 30 year olds and then you can see the, the 40 45 50 year olds yep. who are still able to be in that tell yep. me in your experience because you've now got that wisdom and yep. that life experience yeah and some of your leaders yep. had it too what are some things that you do differently now because that lifestyle 
the passion's great, but the 20 hours a day is probably yeah. not great. True. What are you doing differently now as a result of your experience and, and your battle with, with mental health and, and, and some challenges that have been part of your life? What's the wisdom of Jeremy Irvine now? Uh, I don't take it. You take yourself seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. Mm-hmm. So you take the job seriously. I take my role that I've got today seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. Um, and I read a book earlier in the year, and I won't quote its title, but, uh, well, it's um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Up Beep. And it talks about, essentially, one day you're going to die, so you've got choices. And if you're going to get cranky, you may as well get cranky. But you don't have to get cranky. So you get a th- basically about a 1,000 minutes a day, and it's up to you to lead the life you want. Mm. That works for me. That that mm. resonates with me. So, uh, so the, I guess the lessons I've learned along the way, not necessarily the the career lessons, which were as incre- I mean, you know, you, you take you take anything from a role, but um, you know, setting it, a role like mine as a head of an industry association is is predominantly based on advocacy and stakeholder engagement and knowing how media works and understanding politics. So that's that 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 has given me. That those couple of years in Canberra, four or five years in Canberra, were an anchor to my career. Mm. Um, but forty-five-year-old me would look at twenty-five-year-old me and go, "Go and go, go, go to the gym. Don't drink bad coffee. Don't have a diet of pizza." And <laughs> um, I was drinking pretty heavily, and I was never a good drinker. But you know, like that was the downtime. Uh, I'll give you one very embarrassing vignette. Um, so I was the senior member of the staff based in Canberra and our minister had gone back to his home state on, after a, a long fortnight and we, and I was called down to the Prime Minister and Cabinet Department the next morning after a sitting fortnight with another guy and the night before, well, a lot of us had, staffers had been out uh, imbibing some lovely red, local red wine and I had turned up on a non-sitting Friday morning in jeans and a T-shirt, hiding in my office, a little bit hung, a bit embarrassing, yeah, hung over, not shaved, and you get a call to go down to the, the you know, the, the uh, PMNC, which is like the most senior department in the, in the, in, the, in Canberra, uh, to be greeted with all these very senior public servants from a number of departments and you're representing your minister and you're like, I'm hungover, what the hell's going on? And then to have the head of Prime Minister and Cabinet, who's a, the, a, a guy by the name of Peter Shergold, ignore you and another guy from your other colleagues' minister's office when you're hiding up the back going, please don't let us be seen. And he looked at us and he said on the way out, if your ministers knew what you look like, you probably wouldn't keep your jobs. Goodness. So I went home. I lived five minutes away from PMNC. I had a shave. I had a shower. I got changed back into a suit, which we wore always on, on a sitting day, and I got another suit. And I took it with me back up to my office, and I never, ever, ever turned up to work. I still don't. Casual Friday is still open. Well, working from home. But casual, casual Friday these days is still open neck shirt and suit. I always have a spare suit in my office, irrespective of where the job is, because of that, the, the gross embarrassment of turning up to the, some very senior bureaucrats meeting and having to take notes on behalf of our ministers, hung over and not shaved and a pair of jeans and, you know, some tacky T-shirt going, oh, my, my political career, Paul, was just kind of dissipating in front of my eyes. So, anyway. Um, yes. Interesting and and, and so Never helpless again. in that moment. Pardon? So helpless. You can't do oh, anything. You about can't it. escape. Yeah, the head of you know, the most senior bureaucrat in the land looking at you and you're twenty six, you're going, I'm in so much strife if he looks at me. You're like, you know it too. You just you just know you you shouldn't have done it and you know. And I didn't. Know, I never told the minister. I don't think the head of PMC ever went and told my chief of staff, who was an ex army officer, it was never called in and explained why why I looked so under the weather, so to speak, the next morning. But anyway. Yes. You've, <laughs> spoken, you've told me a little bit about um, the importance of writing in your, yep. your career and in your journey. And if I can back now to school, and, and you've mentioned a number of influential teachers. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about writing at school and yep. perhaps maybe whether you call it a habit, whether you call it a, a rhythm, whether you call it a, a style or a technique. that because Presumably, you had some talent back in the day, and you've gone and continued to develop that. Or is it just out of necessity? Um, about your writing career. Yeah, 
Oh, we always we had to do a lot of writing. I remember even you year seven English, Mr. Murray was like we had creative writing. So I guess it was a natural kind of thing for me. I loved reading. I'm still an avid reader. Um, I've got books all over the place here and um, love books. I'm a Kindle fan, but um, most importantly, the, the tactile books. So um, look, some people are good at sports. Some people are good at arts. I just happen to be good at writing. And on top of that, I happen to be hopefully fairly decent at bringing people together and kind of you know, sharing a, a shared vision and going forward. So, um, and again, I you know I had great teachers. Um, Mister uh, Mister Carroll in year, in year ten English gave me a C, and and I, I don't think I'd ever looked at an English uh, uh, William Shakespeare book ever again. I'm quite happy not to, but that was a real great wake up call because it made me go away and go. I thought I was pretty good at this stuff. I really didn't get I didn't get engaged with Shakespeare and some of the stuff. But um, you can't you can't cruise through. I thought I was probably a little bit cleverer than I thought in Year 10, and I think Dennis Carroll woke me up very well. Um, didn't do year, uh, didn't do English lit in Year 11 and 12 for obvious reasons. But, um, no, Fred Carsons was an exceptional English teacher. We were doing, um, ah, Captain, My Captain. What was it? Was that uh, the movie? Yeah, yeah, Dead Poets Society. And... You know, like great teacher, but yeah, my writing, I guess, was was always something that. And being editor of the school magazine, I didn't do a lot of the writing itself, but a lot of the editing and putting stuff together. So, um, and then when I went to uni, it was very much, you know, I did my first degree at, at Deakin in politics and Australian history. So it was almost like you know, out of school straight into uni, kind of same stuff I was studying. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So that transition worked well for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did English, German, geography, history, and international relations in Year Twelve. Um, much to my father's chagrin, who thought I should probably do a maths and or a science subject. And what have I ended up doing through uni and politics? I've ended up doing well Australian history and politics and international relations and you know the geography probably hasn't heard either. And I never spoke a word of German since I left Year Twelve. But you know, it's all good. Yes. I, I like your, your notion and your learning around uh, the book that you titled before and the fact that we, we have a thousand, thousand minutes a day, thereabouts. We've yep. all got the same amount of time. Yep. You're, you would say, um, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm hearing that you have things in a better balance now. Yes. Yeah, these days, much better. How do you plan? Do, do you plan your day? How, how do you choose how to spend those minutes? Uh, well, I'm lucky in that um, as the head of the association, I get to basically pick with without being rude to the team how my day looks. So, I mean, we're okay. on afternoon, so um, you're only as good as your last bad decision, but my week is essentially set. My diary is set the way I want it to and, the, and the, my team, I've got staff in Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney work with that framework. Um, I, I'm very, um, you know, uh, I have a, a wonderful family and, and you know, like like a lot of families, you know, it revolves around Auskick and swimming on a Saturday and, you know, where, where's Mr Six-year-old going to his next party and do we really need to go and do another kick to kick down the road? So, um, yeah, but for me that was a wake-up call. I um, I had some medical, not that I'm going to bore people about this stuff, but um, I had some medical issues early in the year. It was a real wake-up call at the time I'd, I'd, I'd my marriage had ended a couple of years ago and I was just in a, in a really interesting kind of stage of my life going, what's going on and then you have this this medical stuff come up and it wasn't a big deal but it was a real wake-up call and I was reading the book at the same time I'm like you actually need to make some decisions here Jeremy about how you're going to reframe your life and and um and how you're going to view view the world going forward and I think part of that was um a reiteration of, of that you know glass half full glass half empty um uh work going well um, but a real reminder for me, well, you know, you, this could be your last day and, and going to hospital wasn't particularly fun and it was okay and, not, and everything's fine and you know, a lot of people have much, much worse. Um, but for me, you know, like, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit confronting as a single father or a single parent putting your, your order of service together for your funeral just in case. I mean, my mother died at, at a very young age and at 40 and uh, the school was incredibly supportive. I was you know, only in year eight and through a medical adventure and, and I didn't get to say goodbye to her. So I made sure that in this instance, um, uh, everything, I did leave my father some dirty dishes in the, in the, in the kitchen sink just in case. 
But that was a real wake-up call because I was like, wow, what happens if anything will happen? And nothing was going to happen because it wasn't a big deal and I wasn't, you know, it wasn't, wasn't open-heart surgery. It was just stuff that had to get out that shouldn't have been there and they mm. wanted it out. But it's a re- it was a real wake-up call for me and that kind of thousand minutes a day is, is very much a part of who I am now and, and making sure that um, what I let in emotionally or intellectually for work you know, you go well. Either you, you either you deal with it or you don't. You know, it's like kind of that. Dele- it's like emails. You delegate, delete, or deal with it. Mm. So, um, and I, I I don't worry much about stuff anymore. I'm in a you know very happy place in my life in a, in a very loving relationship with someone who who puts up with my atrociously poor bad dad jokes and puns. Um, and and a son who rolls his eyes every time I try to dance down the local Coles supermarket aisles with him. Um, but going back to your your point, I think you only learn those through those things through um, either some challenges that come to you, or by um, it's trying. I guess as you get older, stepping back as I have and going, what's really important? And I'm very lucky. I've, I've I had three career goals, and I've been very very fortunate to have achieved them all. And um, you know, I've, I've got a great life. I, I can't if I went today. Not that I'm going to go anywhere today, and I'm probably a little bit. It's only a bit morbid, and I don't mean to. Um, I would go happily. Like there's not mm. much, you know. Like I'm a happy. Uh, life's good. Yeah. But then you've actually got to make life good for you too. And I guess that's the other impetus. You know, you've actually got to. If you don't like something, fix it. Yes. There, there, there ought to be some sense of intentionality about what you what you commit to, what you say yes to, what you allow in, what you how you spend your time. Yep. Uh, you want to make the decisions around that rather than yep. just let life happen to you. Yep. Totally. And with Jeremy Irvine from the class of 1992. And, and Jeremy, just to continue that theme, I wonder if we can, if I can take you back to Yarra. Yep. And we have a motto here, Lavavi Oculus. And I wonder, A, tell me what that means. That's Latin for. Yep. And then lift what is your eyes? Yep. Okay. So lift up your eyes to the hills. I mean, how. I, I think the school you've had the whole renovation since I was there a couple of years ago now with the but standing at the front steps looking up to Mount Dandenong where I think you've got the statue now and going, okay, well, I remember sitting at the, the top of the, the Patterson, the senior school oval. It's a hut no, yeah, Patterson. Thinking about what life would be with my mates, you know, still who are my my two best two two of my best mates, um, and, and wondering what that would be. So Lavavi Oculus is very much lift up your eyes and, and for me, but that's been an internal driver for me. And, and a couple of years after I finished school, I came across um, some stuff by Rudyard Kipling, which is ironic given that, you know, I was so anti anything to do with English with Mr. Mr. Carroll, but it, it talked about going beyond the ranges and looking beyond the ranges and um, what did it say? Something lost behind the ranges, lost and waiting for you over yonder, go you there. And I thought, wow, that's, that that kind of um, continuity between lift up your eyes and, and look across the, the sporting fields over to the, the mountains um, and then the, the metaphor that Kipling was using about, um, you know, it, it, the analogy was essentially you've got to go to dark, go through dark places to get where to where you need to be. Both of those are very essentially eternal, internal drivers. Um, the thing that stuck out, stuck out for me in... Uh, at school was uh, Stephen Power, who was school captain in year 10, so it was at 1990, and he, in his valedictory speech, got up and said, and I distinctly remember it, he said, fire up Yarra, may we all fare well, and not fare well goodbye, but may we all fare well, and uh, yeah, there have been many times where I've gone, right, fire up, Jeremy, you know, you know you've got to actually lift up your spirits, you've got to, you know, a career or a life doesn't come from other people coming to you and offering it to you. You've actually got to go and do it yourself. And so for me, Lavar the Oculus is very much a, yes, it's a psalm, and, but it's a very much a reminder of you, it's your responsibility in your own life to live the life that you want to lead. And that has to come from within. There has to be a self-driver. Mm. That's terrific. I, I, I again, I need to read some of your stuff because your ability to communicate and pull from this little bit and that little bit and 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 grab a little bit of your own wisdom and experience and pull it all together is is beautiful to listen to. I'm going to offer you a series of questions that are short fire answers. Yep. 
and see if yeah. <laughs> it'll test your memory. Medical advisor answers quickly. Okay, let's go. So, uh, when you were at Yarra, what house were you in? Hughes. And what was your favourite subject? Uh, 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 Fred Carson's in English, and um, uh, because he's still there, uh, Andrew Hocking and Revolutions History in Year 11 and 12, and International Relations with Dennis Woodward. There you go, three. All which have impacted on your career and future, so I, I understand that. That's very good. Tell me, um, I, know, I know you didn't enjoy sport particularly, but no. what is a sport that you did participate in? I was very, very good at watching. <laughs> Does that the count? Most running, I tell you, Paul. The most running I ever did in class. I sucked at sport. I was probably one of the worst kids ever to walk through the school halls and sport. The most running I ever did in year twelve in, in cross country ever was in year twelve, where Ron Milner gave me permission through um, Alan Crawley, God love him, to um, take photos for the school magazine. And I probably ran more that day than I ever have taking photos, <laughs> catching up with people. Uh, that's very good. Um, so, therefore, this may or may not be a fair question. Um, what was your favourite, house swimming or house athletics? Or house neither. <laughs> that's not it. Okay. We'll go, I'll accept that. Um, what was the first car that you owned? Oh, my uncle's Subaru Brumby Ute, which I had to go and borrow money off him, and it was this horrible thing that I drove because I didn't have any other money to buy it off him. It was this shocking, horrible Oh, off Mission Brown, horrible thing that I got rid of when I could afford it to pay him off. But anyway, there I was. I had a ute. How about that? That's, that's good. Now, yeah. you were a performer in your day of, uh, of music. And, uh, yep. What is a musical that you remember strongly, fondly, that you were part from of? Anywhere? From anywhere, do you mean? No, from Yarra, in your time. Oh, I don't know if we were doing. I'm trying to think. I remember my back in my day it was more to the Stedford. I'm not sure if you're still doing the Rock of Stedford, but no. Um, so I don't think we were doing musicals as much. I do remember going up to Sydney with the Wind Symphony and playing in some festival up there, and that was a lot of fun and overnight bus trips. But I don't think we did music. We may hang on. This will test me out. I probably need to go back and look at the school magazine. I think maybe it was Godspell, but I wasn't involved in it. I think it was something. I don't have to. Anyway, I vaguely remember something like that, but I don't remember. I'm sure that Godspell is one of the plays, one of the musicals that we've been part of for sure. Oh, yeah. um, can you zero it down to a highlight in your career after Yarra? I'll give you two. Look, I, I was thrilled to be a staffer. I was just that, yeah, you can't. <laughs> How many people get to, to, to work in, as a political advisor? And the other one, notwithstanding this job, which I love, um, I got to run the Independence Clause Association of the ACT, so the, the local ACT um, uh, division or group of the independent schools, and that was at, how old was I? I was 33. I was the first non-teacher to run that association and um, in no small part got that job because of the fact I was able to go into the interview and, and talk about my years at Yarra Valley and how much I appreciated the opportunities. And I had helped that a couple of the heads of the schools I was going to work for knew Neville Lincoln and knew Andrew Ponsford and and so there was a, an immediate connection and that was great. I loved that role and um, yeah, uh, it it was it was issues rich as we would say. It was pretty full on uh, and I loved every second of it. I felt very much at home and surprise surprise because we had to do a lot of work within you know like I used to go to speech night all the school speech nights in the year uh, and great headmasters, great great principals. Um, and, uh, yeah, loved that job. It was a wonderful, wonderful job. That's great. That's great. We are all but uh, needing to conclude our time because it, as we're recording this, it's almost 2 o'clock and that's lunchtime nowadays. <laughs> For me, yes. <laughs> um, I just want to ask you, what's something that was not important to you when you were a student that is important to you now? It wasn't. Maths, ironically. I sucked at maths all the way through, and I don't believe I needed to do algebra, but ironically in a political career, and particularly as a association head, you've really got to know your way around numbers. I can work my way through a P&L and a budget. 
Um, I wish I'd actually taken a lot more notice of, of the basic mathematic concepts and compound interest and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't enjoy maths, but yeah, it's probably stuff I've had to learn on the run, particularly in Parliament, where you you know you're dealing with statistics all the time and margins and. So, yeah, I, I probably should have actually listened to my father and some of the other teachers <laughs> actually taken a little bit more notice than maths, in maths, actually. So, yeah. That's a great right. answer. I like yeah. that a lot. And your maths teachers uh, will appreciate finally some recognition. Uh, and, and some uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they'd have to do well to beat Andrew Hocking and Dennis Woodward, though, but anyway. <laughs> Jeremy, I have enjoyed this uh, opportunity to catch up very, very much, and uh, I really appreciate your, your vulnerability, your honesty, your ability to reflect and, uh, and, and crystallise some of your thoughts and, uh, and share that with us today. Thank you for uh, your, your journey that you were able to share with us and, and the opportunity to, to delve into some of the wisdom that you clearly have uh, encapsulated today has been beautiful. So thank you for your time. Thanks for your generosity. And thanks for being inspired by, and I dare say, an inspiration to many people who will listen to this conversation. Thank you, Paul. Take care. Thank you very much. And that just about wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. I acknowledge that there were some sound challenges in there, some audio challenges, and we do apologise. We're constantly working and developing um, what we're doing and the equipment that we're using to try and make it a more and more enjoyable experience for you, the listeners. And we thank you for sticking with us and uh, tuning in week after week on behalf of the team here at Yarra. Thank you for being part of this program. Thank you for your suggestions, your reviews, your ratings, and by all means, sharing it with others. It's a way that we as a Yarra community can stay in touch. Jeremy Irvine, quite a character. Great to have him as a guest. And I hope you'll join us next episode when we sit down with another Yog to see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy, and so on behalf of everyone here at Yarra. I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there to make a positive impact in the world around you. Mm-hmm.